Good morning again. We are going to continue our series in Ephesians called New Identity, and we'll be in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3 today. And if you don't have a Bible but want to grab one and follow along, we've got some under the chairs. We'll be on page 977 in the Bible that you'll find there under the chairs. In Ephesians three fourteen through 21 today, we're continuing this theme that we've been hitting again and again in Ephesians that, that we can't construct an identity of our own but that we have to receive the identity that God gives us as his child. We have to get our identity from him. And so whether we feel successful or whether we feel great shame from really negative things that happened in the past, whether whether we're fighting with, you know, this own good, positive, you know, look at me, I'm impressive kind of identity, or if, if you're struggling with really thinking bad things about yourself, feeling like you have nothing to offer, remembering voices of shame from your past, Either one, no matter where you fit on that spectrum, uh, the Scriptures calls us to, to look to God. The Scriptures calls us to listen to Him and what He has to say about us. And what He tells us is that in our own sin, and our own doing, we're sinners, but that He's gracious. And He loves us and He adopts us into His family because of His grace, because of His love. And so that's what encourages us as we continue to look at this concept of a new identity, this morning we're going to focus in on the identity that we have as his children, an identity of strength. We get strength from God. And so we're going to see that uh, in this little section in verses 14 through 21. We're going to see uh, that God's the source of our strength. We're going to see how we acquire that. And then we're going to see what that produces in our life. So if you'll read with me 3 verses 14 through 21. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul is praying this for the Ephesians. Paul is praying this for us. I'm praying this for us. He says he's bowing his knees to the Father, asking the Father for strength, that we would know that strength, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we would experientially possess, that we would feel the reality of everything he said in chapter 1 and 2 about our adoption and about the love that the Father has for us. That's my prayer this morning. I'm going to pray and ask God to, to teach us that. God, we, we bow our knee to you and ask for your strength. We ask that you would teach us this morning. We ask that you would, uh, that you would blow our minds with the reality that you love us, that you care for us. Help us to grow in that. Help us to be rooted in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was thinking about the idea of of strength, we have a lot of examples of that in our own culture, right, in our everyday life. Um, And one of the things that I was remembering was just some of the fun things I've seen happen with my kids as they grow up. You all know I like to talk about my kids sometimes, and I always ask permission before I do. Um, But one time when my son was turning 10, at a birthday party at Grandpa's house, we gave him this present that was a, uh, a blocking dummy. I don't know if you know what that is for football. It's like basically a big old pad with handles on it. 
And so the idea was that dad would hold the handles and, you know, he would put on his, his football pads and hit me, you know, and he'd practice collisions, basically. And that would, I guess, keep me alive because I have the pad to protect me. And uh, so we bought him this as a present. He loved playing football. He was just getting into peewee football at this age. And he's the second born, right? So he's got an older sister that now he's a lot bigger than, you know, they're 14 and 15. But at the time, 10 and 11, he still hadn't overtaken her yet. And actually at the time, at 11, she was a champion swimmer. So she was, she's a pretty strong little girl. And so uh, at the birthday party, this strong big sister says, okay, come hit me. And she's holding his brand new blocking dummy. And so he backs up a few feet in grandpa's living room and he takes a few steps and just slams into her. And she literally flew eight feet across the room. I mean, she was like, and just flew across the room, landed on the couch on the other side of the living room. And as, as a dad, there was like, it was kind of mixed emotions, right? Like the, there's this, this kind of flash of anger at first, like someone's trying to kill my daughter and he's going to get it, you know? But then I rec- she was giggling and I recognized, okay, she's okay. You know, she flew eight feet through the air, but she landed on the couch and she's okay. And so then there was this kind of flash of, of pride, you know, like, wow, he's pretty strong, you know? I mean, that's, I didn't know he was that strong. He's kind of, he's kind of growing up and I was pretty excited about that. Um, as I said when we started, we're, we're tempted to come before God either at, at one extreme or the other, right? Either thinking, I'm pretty strong. Look at what I can do, God. Look, look at what I've done. Aren't I impressive? Or we might be on the other end of the spectrum. You might come this morning thinking, I'm, I've been knocked on my butt. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm weak. I don't, I don't know what's going on. feeling crushed by the, just the weight and the difficulty of life where, wherever you are this morning. Um, what I want to encourage you with is that whether you think you're strong or, or you recognize how weak you are, um, that God is the source of strength. And that we come to the Scriptures and He promises us there that He will strengthen us. That He will strengthen us. He'll, have, he'll give a strength much greater uh, than our piddly little earthly strength that we may think is so impressive. And if you're at the end of your rope, if you feel like you've been knocked on your back and you don't know what to do next... He promises. He's, he's the gracious God. He's the God, as we said, of chapter 1 and 2 that comes to us dead and gives us life. You, you can't get any weaker than that, right? You can't get any weaker than being completely dead and the Scripture saying that God makes us alive through Christ. And so our hope this morning is that God is our strength, that He's our strength. And so the first thing I want us to look at is how the strength comes from the Father. And that's where Paul starts uh, in verse 14. He's the source of of our strength. That's the one that Paul prays to. Paul says in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And I just want to note that the for this reason part is everything that's gone before in the text. You remember last week, he started out with that phrase in verse 1 of chapter 3. He said, for this reason. And then he kind of got off on a tangent, reminding them again of the great joy they have as Gentiles being united in the church with the Jews, that Christ is the one that brings everyone together and gives us access to God, brings us back into the presence of God, back into the presence of paradise. Well, he started there for this reason, verse 1, again, looking back to chapter 1 and 2. And so here in verse 1 and here in verse 14, when he says, for this reason, I pray to the Father, he's saying for this reason, meaning everything else, all the stuff I've said, God's gracious. We were dead in our sin and God made us alive. We were sinners and He loved us anyway. He gave His Son as a sacrifice for us to bring us back to Himself. 
For this reason, for all of those things that we've looked at before, the new identity that we have by grace through faith and trust in, in Jesus and what he's accomplished for us, for that reason, we would come to the Father. We'd come to the Father and ask for more strength. We'd come to him and ask for help. We're needy, we're weak, and we go to the Father because he is the source of strength. So he's the source of strength, and he's good. We can trust him. We can ask for that strength we've seen in all the chapters we've looked at before in Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And then it says in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he's the source of strength. And and everything else in society and culture, all families are named for him. So he's just reinforcing this idea that our strength comes from our Father. Our strength comes from him as the source. And even the strength of our institutions, the family, is named after him. That's important to understand. I I think we see this in an earthly sense in just the kind of simple biological gender differences that we see that, that dads are strong, right? Fathers are strong. Now, I know this is not 100%. I mean, some of you here today, and you don't need to raise your hand, uh, but, but some of you, you know, your wife is stronger than you, and that's okay, all right? But for the most part, generally, right, the, the general way that it works, just in, in general, general biology, is that men are stronger. Men have generally deeper voices. Generally, their faces are scratchier. Generally, they smell a little stronger. You know, generally, they have bigger muscles. And so there's just this strength, uh, in general terms, that men have. And that's a reflection of the, the real father of, of God, right? It says every family's named after him. Um, dads, dads are strong, and dads like to be strong too. I don't know, wives, have you ever picked up on that? We kind of we want to think of ourselves as strong, right? Sometimes it even affects how we dress up for Halloween. Uh, you know, recently, one of our members dressed up uh, for Halloween. There he is. That's He-Man, if you can't tell. Um, and he's, uh, I tried to protect his identity earlier, but I'll just go ahead and give it away. If you have a three-year-old, He-Man is taking care of your child right now. So, um, But we like to be strong, right? We wish we were as strong as our kids think we are. Our kids kind of think of us sometimes as superheroes. We wish we were that strong. But our strength is a derivative strength. We're, we're strong, but God is really the source of strength, Right? Our, our strength is a small, shadowy reflection of the true strength that God the Father has. And it's important to recognize, again, that God didn't come into our culture and say, hey, I've been watching you, and you have this thing called fathers in your culture, so I will, I will appear to you as a father, right? Because we are, we're humanity, we're so self-centered, we kind of think of it that way. We think, this is what is, and God enters into what is. No, that, that's not how it works. God created fathers because he is the ultimate father. Does that make sense? He, he came first. He was there first. And so fatherhood and families are something that was developed in his plan, we see in Genesis 1, in order to image him, in order to reflect what he's like and show his character in the world. So we looked at gender a little bit back in the summertime, and we believe that male and female are created in the image of God, and God wants male and female to reflect his image. But there's something unique about the role of fatherhood that comes from who God is as father, his strength, his leadership, his protection, the security that we would have in him. And so I think there's a few things that we need to learn from this. Um, the first thing that I want to point you to just in the text is that in the, in the original Greek, it would, have been, it would have been clearer what Paul has just said, that, that families are named after fathers, right? Uh, in our sense, we can kind of get it conceptually, 
uh, that the idea of families came from the ultimate father in heaven. But in the Greek, it's the word uh, patera and patria. So can you hear how those are kind of the same, right? They're kind of the same word. So if you would say family in Greek, it would be patria. And if you would say father, it'd be patera. And so, and you kind of have the same thing reflected in Latin, if anyone studied Latin. So what you have here is he's saying kind of a word play, and he's saying families are based on fathers, but he's, he's using almost the same word. And so the family exists as an institution because of the strength of the father, and not just the strength of the earthly fathers, because we know our, our strength is weak. We, we run out pretty quick. We don't have a very good track record in our country even of staying with our families. But the strength comes as a reflected and as a derivative strength from the real father. He, he's what it all was created for. It's all, to, it's all to reflect him. It's all to point back to him. And so I just have a couple of uh, applications, I think, that come out of this. Once we know that, that he's the plan and he's what it's supposed to look like and then we're supposed to reflect him, I think that shows us that it's important um, that, that we reflect him well in our families. So I think that's a, a good application to start with. I think really he's talking about our prayer and our relationship with God. But I think just to make a side note here, our, our families do matter. Our families should reflect, reflect God's strength and his goodness. And so I just want to talk about that for a minute. If, if you're a mom, I want to ask you are, you, are you doing things to set dad up for success? Are you helping dad to be strong? Because you have a real pivotal role because wives, moms, you know dad's weakness more than anybody else. I mean, in a sense, you're the most threatening person in his life, right? Be- because you know reality. My-, my wife knows my brokenness. She knows my weakness. And if, so, if she's not on my side, who's going to be on my side? I mean, she knows the worst. If she is on my side, it's got to be by grace. It's got to be because of the gospel. It's got to be because of generosity, because she knows my weakness. She knows I'm not really that great. And so, wives, you have an important role to play in building up your man. The scriptures say again and again that a wife's role is, is, they use words like submit, respect, honor. Wife's never told to love her husband. We talked about this in the summer. There's this one word in Titus says, older women teach your uh, teach the younger women to love their husbands, but it's not even the, the word for unconditional love. It's this different word, phileo, right, that means like, right? It's like brotherly love. Teach your wives to like your husbands. And so, you know, we've got these collection of words that are like, just like him, okay? Respect him. Build him up. You're never commanded to love him. You're just commanded to respect him and to honor him and to build him up, help him succeed. That's, that's what men need from their wives to help us to be strong. So you know how weak we are, but because of the gospel, because of grace, build us up. Help us to be stronger. Help us to succeed. And when you do that, you'll be helping your husband image God. You'll be helping your husband show that God is strong and that he's safe and that he's secure. Culturally, we need to recognize that there's a lot of voices because so many dads have abandoned their families. There's a lot of voices that want to push us to, well, dads don't really matter, right? And I think as, as the church, we need to resist that. So we don't want to shame people that grew up without a dad. I grew up without a dad around very much. He was there a little bit when I was younger, but then after that, wasn't really around. And so I can sympathize. If you grew up without a dad, we, we don't want to shame you and say, well, you don't, you don't have a family or there's something wrong with you. But at the same time, we want to recognize that's not the way it's supposed to be. That dad was supposed to be there. Dad was supposed to be there. And so we need to recognize that. E- even as there can be great dad substitutes, if dad's not there, 
get involved in the church. You know, I, I had godly coaches. I had, there were godly men in the church. There were godly men in other organizations that would help to mentor me and help to lead me, help to encourage me. And so that kind of thing can happen. But we still have to recognize that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be though, right? Dad's supposed to be there. And so I would say to dads, I would say, stay there. Hang in there. Don't quit. Dads, keep going. And the way that you do that is in verse 14, where he says, I bow my knee to the real father. The one that every other fatherhood, every other family is based on the real father, God, the perfect father. He shows us what fatherhood should be like. And so if we were abandoned or if we were hurt or if you were abused or whatever you might have gone through, remember that the reason you even know that it was bad is because God is good. Because God is good, the failures of human fathers stands out. It's clear because we know what a father is supposed to be like. We know a father is supposed to be strong and a father is supposed to be loving. And that comes together in the gospel. We see that God is holy and mighty and strong and he's also gracious and he moves to us in love and he adopts us and he says, I'm, I'm going to take hold of you, I'm going to make you mine and I'm going to help you to do what's right. I'm not just going to stand on the side and condemn, but I'm going to enter into human history. I'm going to give my son Jesus to live as a man to take your place to transform your heart. And so dads, if, if, you're, if you're there, if you're on the edge, if you feel like giving up, don't give up. Ask for help. Bend your knee to the real father. You need to give up your pride and you need to ask for help. You need to ask God for help. You need to ask another man for help. You need to ask other people for help. Ask your chaplain, come to the church. Ask us for help. Pray that God would teach you to be a good father. Pray that God would teach you to image what he's really like. And finally, I think what is really the primary application here for everyone else, for all of us, we all need to go to that father for strength. We all need to go to the real father. Whether we've had an awesome earthly father or a terrible earthly father, we need to go to the real father. We need to bow our knee to him and recognize that he's the source of strength. If we're going to have any strength in this world, it's going to come from him. Strength derives from him. It's all named after him. It all comes from God the father. So we have to see him as the source. We have to recognize he's the one that's going to provide for us. It says in verse 16 that Paul prays to the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so that, that means he may not fix all your circumstances immediately, but he will strengthen you from the inside out. He'll give your he'll, he'll give you his spirit he'll strengthen your inner being he'll he'll fill you he'll strengthen you from the inside out so that you can begin to follow him and begin to image him in the world but the next thing i want us to think about is that strength feels like trust uh, strength looks like trust so when he talks about this this spirit and dwelling this this inner man the spiritual transformation getting strength from god it, it looks like faith it looks like trust and that's what paul describes in verses 17 18 and 19 Read verse 17, 18, and 19. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he's, he's praying to God that, that God the Father would strengthen you through the Spirit, inner being. And he says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
He's saying the way that you're filled with the fullness of God, the way that you feel his strength, that you uh, experience his strength in your life, it's, it's through trust. It's through faith in him. It's through realizing that God is good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you trust him? If you don't trust him, as I've said before, then you don't know him. If you don't trust him, then you don't know him. As we learn who he is, we begin to trust him. As we learn who he is, as he's revealed himself in creation as the almighty, all-powerful, generous creator, and through redemption as the saving God that cares for us and loves us and forgives our sin through the cross, through what Jesus has accomplished, we begin to trust him. And the way Paul describes this, he uses these multiple words here. He says that what happens is Christ dwells in our hearts, right? Jesus lives on us. He, he lives in our, in our heart. And I have to just say as an aside, sometimes it's a, a pet peeve uh, for pastors that children use the terminology of when you become a Christian, it's asking Jesus into your heart. Have you all ever heard that phrase before? And as pastors, we like to pick on that sometimes, right? Because it's a little, sometimes that's a little too confusing for children. They think there's like literally a tiny Jesus crawling inside there, right? Uh, But the language makes sense. I mean, it's not a bad thing to use that language because here it is. I mean, this is what it's saying. He, He lives in our heart through faith. He does live in us. Now, it's not a little, little tiny Jesus, you know, that you could like inject with a syringe or something. It's it's a spiritual reality, right? It's the Holy Spirit, what we saw in the previous verse, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. This is what it means to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. This is the process, right? People talk about, are you spirit-filled? And a lot of times what they mean is they're talking about the kind of more dynamic, uh, unusual manifestations of the Spirit, right? More miraculous type things, healings or miracles or speaking in tongues. And I don't want to say that God doesn't do those things, but what the New Testament emphasizes again and again is, is this reality, that being filled up with the Holy Spirit, Him dwelling in you, Him overflowing in you is, is trusting Him, is recognizing He loves me. He gave Himself for me. And, and the way Paul describes it, he says, you're rooted and grounded in love. You're rooted and grounded in love. And this reality of His grace for you. And he says, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So he's saying that you would comprehend, that you would get, right? That you would understand this infinite, ununderstandable thing. Right? He says that you would comprehend, and then he says breadth, length, height, depth. This is a phrase that's used a lot of times in the first century just to mean infinite, right? It's like we would say ginormous, right? We say that all the time. Or whatever, you know, whatever awesome or huge or epic or whatever word you would use to say, it's just so big, you can't imagine it. That's the kind of phraseology they would use in the first century. And what's interesting is a lot of times uh, people have found, researchers have found that this is used in magic spell books. And so there's some reason to think that, that Paul is using this for the Ephesians because there was a lot of witchcraft and magic spells and stuff like that that people were into in Ephesus. They were into a lot of occult practices. We see that uh, as we learn more about Ephesus in the book of Acts. So he's kind of taken their phraseology of, of what you think is magical, what you think is incredible, where you think the real power is. It says the real power is understanding how much God loves you. That's the real power. The real power is getting it, that, that God loves you, that he gave himself for you through the cross. And so he says... You need to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. And then he says in 19, clarifying it more, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Again, it's a paradox. You need to know this unknowable thing. 
You need to believe this unbelievable thing. You need to comprehend this infinite magical thing that God loves you, that God gave himself for you, that he came to earth and died as a man, that he took our sins upon himself, that he gave us his righteousness for free so that we could be with him, that we could know him, that we could love him. And he says, this should all be our roots and our foundation. Without this, we don't have roots. Without this, we don't have a foundation. I have a picture here of roots. You know, a tree, if it doesn't have roots, it's not going to stand, right? A hurricane comes, it's going to rip right out of the ground. You need roots to hold it down when the winds blow. I have a picture here of a building, a foundation being built for the World Trade Center, the new building that's going on there in New York. You have to dig way down deep to build a proper foundation for a building. And what Paul says is our foundation, our foundation is the gospel. Our foundation is Jesus' love for us. And so I want to tell you this morning, if, if you don't have that foundation, then you don't know God. And that you may be someone that comes to church, you may be someone that's religious, but apart from knowing that God loves you, that there's no real relationship with Him. It's just religion. It's just something that's, that's empty. It's things that we do but it's not real spiritual transformation. We need to know him by faith. We need to trust what he's done for us. The last thing I want us to look at is the idea that it produces praise. All of this, this builds up, it builds to a head and it erupts in our life, right? Paul says it in the phrase, so that we're filled with the fullness of God, right? That we're filled, we're overflowing, we're like a fountain that overflows, you've ever had a, a waiter pour your glass and they just keep pouring and it just goes everywhere, that, that's what happens. That grace is supposed to be overflowing in our life. It's supposed to fill us up. Strength produces praise in our life and it should be this ecstatic thing. We see this a lot of times in, in the letters of Paul. He, he writes about great theology and big things about who God is and what he's doing. And then he starts talking about how awesome God is. He starts praising God. He starts overflowing and saying, God is so amazing. God is so big. Look at what he's done. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He can't help but overflow, right? But the love of God just compels him. It just pulls him along. I wanted to give you kind of a vivid illustration of what this might look like. Uh, any of you have a dog? Anybody here have a dog? A few of you? Okay. Um, anybody have a, a dog that's stronger than you? Some of you? Okay, some of you. Yeah, I've got one. He's like 70 pounds, and he's just a beast. I can't figure it out. So if you figured that out, talk to me afterwards. But uh, this is a picture, just to kind of remind you what that can look like. You see a lady almost being pulled over. My daughter, who's now 11, at the time she was 9 or 10, my younger daughter, we were out taking our neighbor's dog for a walk. We were taking our neighbor's dog for a walk, taking care of her. My, my daughter's kind of like Dr. Doolittle. She loves animals. You know, she just has this connection with them. So she loves it, and I'm letting her take this big old beast, you know, probably like a big 80-pound dog. I'm letting her carry, carry her on the leash, and she's, she's a pretty obedient dog. But as we're walking along, some neighbor dog starts sticking its nose through a hole in the fence and just barking and going crazy. And so Lily, the neighbor's dog, just takes off and just literally drags my daughter like 10 yards across the grass. And she held on for dear life. She's like, I'm not letting go. No, she's like, G -g -g -g. it's kind of like when you're skiing and you get pulled down into the water. I mean, it was that kind of thing. She's just getting dragged through the grass. And um, that reminded me of just the overwhelming power of God. It just kind of jerks us off into this different direction. It just drags us into amazement at what he's done. 
It's, it's not something that we can really control sometimes. And my, my question for you is, is, does that ever happen in your life? Are you ever just, is your mind ever just blown? You're like, God, you're so big. God, you're so awesome. God, you're so amazing. The things that you've done, I can't, I can't believe it. You're so good. I love you. My question is, do you ever praise God that way? Do you ever declare His greatness? Do you ever praise Him in song? Um, we sing songs here in church just to reflect how good God is. And you don't have to be good at singing, but you just we need, as Christians, we need to declare His greatness. We need to declare His goodness. Maybe just in prayer. Maybe just in your private, quiet moments with God, just saying, God, you're good. You're amazing. You're so big. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for being so awesome. Thank you for giving me life. Does that ever come out? Does that ever... Is your heart ever just pulled towards Him how good He is? Because for Paul, that's what it looks like. It, it looks like I just can't, I can't help but to praise God. It just produces this in our life. As we conclude, because of this concept, we wanted to sing one more song just to give us an opportunity to praise how big He is, how great He is, to just declare, God, You're amazing. More than anything that we ask or think, You're the God that loves us you're the god that has saved us and our hearts are just pulled towards you because of who you are because you love us so i want to pray for us and then we'll sing this final song god we thank you that you love us we thank you for your goodness we thank you that you are the strong one and that when we are weak you are the source of health and life and strength for us and i pray that you would teach us how to experience that by faith how to comprehend your infinite love, that we would be rooted in it, that we would be grounded in it, that you would be our foundation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.